Let us pray. Lord, may the words that I speak, may the thoughts that you prompt in our minds and hearts be acceptable to you. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I look back to my own childhood with a great deal of thankfulness because I was brought up in a stable family uh, with loving parents who were both committed Christians. My mother exercised a ministry by being a pastoral visitor in the church and by being what in those days was called overseas missions secretary. Uh, and for many years, my father was organist and choir master at one or two churches. Uh, and as a result of their influence and also the influence of a church school that I attended, um, I grew into faith during primary school years and Jesus became real to me. There were two Methodist churches in the city where, uh, that we lived in or lived just outside uh, in Chichester. One was a large church and that was where my father was the organist and the choir master. The other was a small church um, with about 25 members, most of whom were over the age of 60. Um, and they had had an organist who'd been there for 56 years. When he became ill, they knew that he would not return. And uh, they, uh, the minister approached my father and said, did he think that I might go and do the job of being organist at this church, even though I was only in my first year at secondary school. So I went for a month's trial, and I was there for four and a half years. At the end of the first month, I was handed an envelope from a treasurer who was 91 years of age, uh, rather shaky on his feet and rather shaky in his handwriting as well. Uh, in it was my pay, which was a pound note for the services, four Sundays, morning and evening. And on the envelope were written, Gordon Newton, harmonium, a pound. I took this home to my father and I was a bit puzzled and I said, what's this about a harmonium? I said, that's the thing I play. They're not selling it, they're not buying it. So he looked at the envelope, this rather shaky handwriting, he turned it upside down a couple of times, and then he said, my boy, that's not harmonium, that's honorarium. <laughs> well, obviously at that age I had a lot to learn, still do, but one thing I needed to learn was that sometimes God speaks uh, through times of worship, and things happen. I went to church happily to worship God, but really thought that life would go on much the same. Until two or three years later, one evening at that chapel, um, we had a visitor, uh, we had one of our local preachers, a lady local preacher whose name was Mrs. Snowball, a, a very memorable name, lovely lady, great preacher, and she came, and on that particular occasion, she was recalling her childhood days in what in those days was Ceylon, Sri Lanka. Her parents had been missionaries. And as part of the service, she was talking about the transformation that taking the Christian gospel to various communities had brought, not only to individuals, but to whole communities, uh, not least to some of the communities that were in poverty and how they became less impoverished and people uh, had dignity and, and worth brought to their lives. And suddenly I felt God speaking to me very directly in that service. I, I don't know quite how it happened or what it, exact words were that were said or at what moment this happened but I went away from that service absolutely convinced that I'd heard the clear voice of God that he wanted me to become a minister in the church and although over the succeeding years um, I have often wondered whether God's choice was a wise one 
Um, I've never doubted the fact that that was there and that it was a very, very clear call. And I tell that story because today is Vocation Sunday and we're invited to pray that God may hear him calling them and we're also challenged to ask whether God might be calling us. But called to what? It's easy to have a restrictive view of what God calls us to. God isn't called when he, uh, confined when he calls men and women. He's not confined to calling them simply to become ministers in the Church of Christ. That is one very specific and very definite call. And nor is God's call limited to certain special jobs, as you might say, or particular professions. Some parts of the Christian Church have uh, at times put a great weight on uh, the caring professions, the nursing profession, the teaching professions. They've marked them out as what they call vocations, and they prayed that their pupils in great numbers might offer themselves for that kind of work. Very necessary, of course. But as we read through the Bible, we find a very much wider approach to this business of God calling people. God very clearly calls lots of people to many and varied tasks, well beyond dealing with ecclesiastical machinery or even being engaged in specific evangelism. So just reflect with me for a few minutes about uh, three of those people whose stories we've touched on, uh, particularly the Old Testament characters this evening. Uh, Joyce read to us from Genesis about the call of Abraham, or one of the calls of Abraham. I think there's a bit of vagueness about this call, really. Um, we're told that God called Abraham to go, but it wasn't exactly stated where he was to go. It was just, to a land that I will show you. You might imagine the neighbours asking a lot of questions, mightn't you? Why are you leaving us? Where are you going? Uh, what are you going to do? What do you mean you don't know? Why are you going? In a book that was written for uh, Lent Reflections last year, the author Meg Warner uh, points out that the journey for Abraham had actually already begun because many years before, Abraham had set out on a journey with his father from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But they never got as far as Canaan. They settled in Haran. And it was a few years later that Abraham's father died and Abraham was still there, partway through the journey that had originally been planned. And then it was that Abraham feels this stirring and he hears God's call. Go to a land that I will show you. It's an instruction, but it's a bit vague. Is it going to be Canaan or is it going to be some other destination? And along with the call, there's a promise but again, there's a bit of a vagueness about the promise, really, because uh, the promise is, I will make you a great nation and bless you and you will be a blessing. But that needs a bit of unpacking, I would think. Nothing very specific, at least not until after Abraham had responded to the call. But there was a definite stirring. There was a challenge to, to Abraham to get up, to move, to go somewhere, to travel on to an unknown destination. And for that, of course, it meant moving away from what for him had become the hub of the family, the hub of his economic activity and all the rest of it. The blessing that God was going to give to Abraham, of course, was going to be very, very significant. And for Jewish people, and indeed for Christian people as well, Abraham has often been regarded as the father of faith, the person who is the great model for answering God's call, not knowing where it's going to lead, but being obedient 
and trusting. God's call to Moses, on the other hand, was a bit more specific. You remember that Moses was one of the Hebrew people living down in Egypt uh, at a time when life had become very difficult for them. The Hebrew people who at first had been welcomed into the land of Egypt uh, had after a while, as their numbers increased, become a bit of a nuisance to Pharaoh uh, and the Egyptians. They'd multiplied in number and they were being used as slave labor and badly exploited. And Moses, who'd been brought up in a privileged household, the household of Pharaoh, um, there's another story behind that, as you will remember, uh, but Moses, who'd been brought up in this rather privileged background, had a passion for justice. And his sense of justice and anger exploded one day when he saw an Egyptian beating one of his own Hebrew people. And he went and sorted it out. And the upshot of that story, of course, was that the Egyptian was left dead on the ground. He fled, Moses fled, to a neighbouring country, settled, married, and had a family. And it was during that period of his life that Moses heard God's call. And it was during an ordinary working day when he was looking after his father-in-law's sheep when he saw a bush that appeared to be burning and he turned aside to see what it was all about. One wag who was writing on this story said, if I had seen a bush burning... I don't suppose I would have turned aside to see what was happening. I would have simply asked, who dropped the match? But Moses turned aside. He felt there was something going on there. And because he turned aside to see, that was a moment when God spoke to him. That was an encounter between God and Moses. And Moses heard God calling him to go back to his people uh, in Egypt his own Hebrew people who were still in slavery and suffering a great deal, and to lead what was in effect a freedom movement uh, in our modern parlance. And that, of course, would need a bit of courage. Leading of any freedom movement in any generation, in any culture, needs a good deal of courage uh, and uh, a bottle. First of all, for Moses, it was needed courage in tackling Pharaoh, trying to persuade him to let the Hebrew people go free. Later on, of course, it meant with dealing with the rather less than acceptable behaviour of some of his own people from time to time, the times when they uh, sheer disobedience to God's commands, the infighting between them, and what David Kossoff on one occasion described as the anti-Moses meetings that they decided to hold when they got fed up with him. Leading any freedom movement is a hard and a costly business. And after a bit of verbal argy-bargy with God, Moses uh, tries to come up with various excuses as to why he wasn't the person to do the job, but in the end, he acquiesces and uh, makes tracks back to Egypt and sets about the task. And, of course, he becomes the chief liberator of his people. The rest, as we say, is history. And the third person we touched on uh, as we sung that last song um, was the man who became the prophet Samuel, uh, Samuel, as you remember, was born following much pleading from his mother who was childless and extremely distressed about being childless. And when she was eventually blessed with the gift of a child, she gave him back to the Lord by sending him, when he was quite young, to the temple where he could serve Eli the priest and be in God's service. And God's call to Samuel came very directly, it came as a voice in the night, a voice that at first he thought must be the voice of Eli. 
and perhaps um, Eli wondered what it was all about as well. But after three times of this happening, Eli realized this was God speaking to Samuel. And the response that God wanted from Samuel was quite a different response from the response that God wanted from either Abraham or from Moses. The call to Samuel was to expose some of the corruption that was going on in the land, in the nation. Not only in the nation, but also in the temple. Some of the immoral and the godless behavior of Eli, the uh, priest's sons, for a start. So you see, the circumstances of these three calls, just to take these three examples, and there are many others uh, that we could have looked at, the circumstances of these calls were so different. Abraham was on a journey, but seemed to have got stuck, maybe too old now to think of doing anything more or going any further. Moses had a great passion for justice, but had initially used it for very destructive purposes. Samuel had a sensitivity for hearing God's voice. And uh, at a time, uh, in a time and a place when most people had become rather impervious to hearing what God was saying. So the circumstances of these calls were different. The reaction seems to be slightly different as well. Abraham was very compliant. Moses was a bit argumentative. Samuel was a bit hesitant. There are many jobs that God needs done in this world. There are many places where God wants his people who commit themselves to him to be. Over the years I've been privileged, <clears throat> often very moved to hear about how God has called people, communicated to them and stirred in them some kind of response. Uh, as a minister, um, like Martin, I have sat many times in our ministerial sessions of Synod and listened to candidates for the ministry telling us about their call to ministry within the life of the church. And those stories are very many and varied and come to people at different stages of life. But to all sorts of other calls as well. I think back to some of the early days of my ministry when I was in Yorkshire, in Bradford. A man who was 60 or thereabouts, um, worked in one of the woolen mills in Bradford. He was organist at the main church where I was minister. He was very deaf. He could have very little conversation unless it was a one-to-one, -one, uh, and certainly not in a noisy woolen mill. So he had day by day, from Monday to Friday, just to concentrate on his job, and it was quite a lonely occupation. But he felt he could use that time, and he felt that God had put him in that place so that he could use that time to get on with his work, but also to use his musical gifts and, in his mind, prepare for what he was going to be playing in church for God's people on the following Sunday to help create a, a, a helpful atmosphere, particularly during a service of Holy Communion. That, to him, was a, a sense of God calling him in the place where he was, even with his limitations. Some years later, a middle-aged woman down in Dorset, a lady who'd felt quite drawn to the nuclear disarmament movement during the early 1980s, but she wasn't quite sure how to respond, just felt there was something we ought to be doing to move towards a more peaceful world. And at the end of a service one morning, it was the first Sunday in Lent, Sunday when we think about the decisions that Jesus made. And so in our service, we'd focused upon decisions and choices. 
And she came and spoke to me at the end of the service and she said, I feel called by God now to do something about this. I feel I need to uh, create a peace movement in this area so that people can come and talk about peace and pray for peace. And she did. And she began a demanding chapter in her life. Some years later, I had a conversation with a man who worked in the aeronautics industry. He was struggling with the morality of whether it was right to be in that industry, which obviously for the large part was making uh, armaments uh, for war and for destruction. He felt called by God to examine his conscience, reassess the morality of his work. And when he'd done that reassessment, he felt at the end of the day it was actually the right thing to stay where he was. But he'd felt disturbed enough to think things through and to, in a sense, argue the point. He felt it was better to stay where he was and to try and make a difference in the place where he was. Much more recently, I met a middle-aged woman whose family were grown up and who felt a, a growing dis-ease with the amount of corruption that was be ex being exposed, especially in the politi political world. And although she hadn't been the public speaker or the sort of person to hold high office, high office, she felt that God was calling her to do something in the political field. Thought it might be that she was being called to be an MP, although she could hardly believe it. And so she underwent some uh, various sorts of training and she put herself to school with political matters and all the rest of it. Uh, she finished up not in Parliament, but she finished up as chair of her local political party in the place where she was. She had to master lots of uh, facts that she didn't know, develop skills that she didn't realise she'd got. It was a challenge, but she answered that because she knew, for her, that was a call from God. Almost 13 years ago now, a young Christian guy um, in uh, Boreham Wood, he, well, I, I say he was a Christian, he became a Christian by quite a very dramatic conversion when he was about 30. He was in a responsible and well-paid management job. He drove posh cars. He had no difficulty in finding young ladies who would like to uh, ride with him in their car and uh, have a lovely evening out uh, and all the rest of it. He had the world uh, at his fingertips, really. But after he gave his life to Christ, he felt God speaking very clearly to him and saying that God wanted him to go and work amongst some of the poor people in the world and to make a difference and to use his business skills to help them where they were. And he heard about a group of people who were trying to help themselves and help the orphans of their community in the eastern part of Uganda. And after many discussions and lots of prayer, um, I was privileged to be involved just in one or two of those discussions, uh, he went and he formed what is now known as an organisation uh, an organisation known as Jenga. It's an organisation that's been responsible during this last decade for digging a number of wells, for sending lots of children to school who otherwise wouldn't have been able to go to school, and engaging in prison evangelism as well. Any ambitions to become rich or to become richer still have gone out of the window. Chances of promotion or settling down with a wife in England have been exchanged for a very simple life and sometimes very poor access to the internet. His life was completely redirected from anything that he might have imagined as he grew up. And we've managed to support him uh, a little bit from our tithe fund here at Central Hall. Sometimes in our church notices, you will see appeals for help with some work inside the church or something that we're trying to do with the community. 
And appeals often end with these words, please pray and consider if you are being called to help. Not called by Martin or the ministerial team, if you are being called by God. Many people have answered those kind of calls, sometimes very apprehensively, thinking I'm not sure whether I'm cut out for this sort of thing. Uh, only to discover that through offering and praying, they've unlocked something in their lives and God has provided them and given them strength and skill and wisdom that they never had before and never expected to have. At the beginning of every year, as Methodist people, we share in a very special service that is called the Covenant Service. When we celebrate God's faithfulness to us and sometimes our lack of faithfulness to him, but when we focus on rededicating ourselves to God. And just before we arrive at the point where we rededicate ourselves to God in a prayer, there are some challenging words you may remember about the kind of calls that God may make on our lives. And the words go like this. Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy, some are difficult. Some bring honour, some bring reproach. Some are suitable to our natural inclinations and material interests. Others are contrary to both. In some we may please Christ and please ourselves. In others we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Challenging words that remind us that God may call us by asking us to use what we consider to be our strengths and our talents that we know about, but he may also call us by our taking us well beyond what we think of as our comfort zone. And we need to remember that those challenging words from the covenant service end with a promise. Yet the power to do all these things is given us through Christ who strengthens us. And just finally and very briefly, underlying all this, of course, is the wonder of God actually needing and wanting our cooperation in order to get things done in his world. And that really is quite a staggering thought. God needs many people to do many things in many places. And it's never wise to assume that his call is always going to be to somebody else and not to us. Let's sing about some of God's calls. God it was who said to Abraham, pack your bags and travel on.